Have you ever thought of accomplishing a goal or a dream and it just felt like it seems impossible? Well, I'm here to tell you, it always seems impossible until it's done. And you're not alone with that thought and feeling, as I can relate to that myself. My name is Heather. I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict, a recovery and life coach, and I'm here to share some of the things that I have struggled with at one point that also felt impossible until they were done. My goal is for you to hear something relatable and gain something from my experiences. It's just a gray Seattle day. I wasn't feeling 100%, so I took the rest of the day off of work to just kind of care for myself. So today, something that I want to talk about is one of my favorite quotes, and I bought a wall hanging when I began my journey about three and a half years ago in recovery, and it's by Nelson Mandela. It says, it always seems impossible until it's done. That's something I live by and I look at every day, and it can be so true. Sometimes things just seem so impossible to accomplish, but then when you're able to look back at it and go, huh, I actually did it. It's crazy to look back and think about how impossible it seemed at the time. It's kind of like my story of how I got into recovery. About five or six years ago, I was at a counseling session with my now ex-husband and really cool lady. We got into the discussion of how every time I drink, I black out. In my active, addictive way, it was me justifying my drinking. I didn't drink to black out. I drank to have fun and, you know, hang out with people. And it was a social event. To me, it was just social drinking. It wasn't maintenance drinking, but every time I drank, I blacked out. The next day I would be told things I had said or done and would just be mortified. So she shared a story with me. Here she's a accredited certified counselor. She decided to open up and share her truth with me. She shared with me that she was an alcoholic. Somebody sharing their story like that planted the seed for me to change the rest of my life. So she went on to tell me her story about how she ended up in jail for the night. The jail knew who she was because she's a known counselor in the area and working for a company that's pretty well known in the area. It was after her sharing her story that I was able to finally admit that I was an alcoholic. And I remember the last day I drank. It was on my mom's birthday, and it was with a boss. She was a total wino, and I loved wine. Loved it. It just made me feel a different way than hard alcohol. And we went to Anthony's down on the waterfront for happy hour, and I was just going to have one glass of wine and a small salad. Then she ordered a second glass, so I ordered a second glass, and then we're hanging out and talking and doing our thing, and... She orders a third glass, so I stupidly ordered a third glass. I can remember driving home that night. It was probably about 5, 5.30. I was driving through North Everett over the trestle, and something that comes to my memory quite fondly of when I drank too much, when I drove, stupidly, I would literally drive with one eye open just to be able to see the road clearly, so I wasn't seeing double. So everything wasn't so blurry. I decided to go get a whole bottle of wine on my way home and proceeded to 
start chugging the bottle when I got home because I was home alone and I was just having fun. I was drunk. Uh, you know, it was funny to me. It was something fun to go do. And then I drove to a friend's house that I'd never been to before. And I got there and realized, how the fuck did I just drive here? I just remember my husband at the time going, what are you doing? And how did you get here? And why is there an open bottle of wine in your purse? That was the last time I drank. And I'm sure we got in a pretty heated discussion the next day and a fight and argument and so on and so forth. And then I finally just came to the point where I finally was able to admit I'm an alcoholic. But there was still a problem. That's great that I was able to admit that I was an alcoholic. My fix for that was to just never drink again. Easy, right? For some people, maybe. For me, it wasn't. I still had this addiction I was fighting. I'd been fighting it since I was 15 years old. I had been chronically addicted to marijuana. I would eat it. I would snort the smoke. I would do dabs. I would do bong hits. I would do knife hits. Any way you could do it. Oh, my favorite thing was a vape pen because it was so discreet. And I, shit, I could do it when I was at work and nobody would know. I would always carry around a bottle of perfume as if people weren't going to smell the reek of marijuana all over me. But in my head, I justified it again and convinced myself it wasn't an addiction. It was a choice. I wanted to smoke pot. I wanted to be high. I was such a better person to be around. I would laugh. I would have fun. I would hang out with people. Until the day came where it was a life or death choice. Are you going to keep smoking marijuana or not? For two weeks straight, I couldn't figure out why I was getting so sick. For most people, it's common knowledge that if you're nauseous or vomiting, marijuana can settle the stomach. So me thinking I knowing what I was doing, I would continue to smoke the marijuana, but yet I was continually being ill. I was violently ill. Vomiting, we'll say out of both ends. Craving hot showers. When I was so sick, I was like going out of my mind. I just wanted to like, oh, maybe a hot shower will soothe me. And then I would be in the shower so long that it dehydrated me even more. And then my body would start seizing. My husband at the time was like super annoyed with this. He kept telling me, oh, you need to quit smoking. That's what's making you sick. I didn't want to believe him. So it was all I ever knew. It always worked in the past when I was nauseous or vomiting. Smoke a little weed, it would settle me down. And so this went on for two weeks. I ended up in the hospital a couple times just because I was so dehydrated and seizing that we didn't know what was going on and they just sent me home. And that was one thing about my use. I never hid it from doctors. I was always up front, especially when I was on antidepressants and whatnot. I always let them know, yeah, I am a recreational smoker. I wasn't worried about the judgment. I really didn't care. They kept asking me at the hospital if I was doing any other drugs. And then, of course, I would follow up with my mom and let her know, you know, it happened again. I was in the hospital again, and she planted the seed in my head. Do you think your husband's poisoning you? And I thought, oh my God, any wife's worst fear, right? Our marriage was not great at this point. It was walking on a fine line for quite some time. I was very boisterous about that. I, at the time, let him know I didn't want anything to do with him. I wanted a divorce. I don't want to be with you. That really 
in a sick, twisted way, had me convinced, oh my god, my husband's trying to kill me. Then the last time I went to the hospital, I went to a follow-up at my physician's office, and I told her everything that was going on, and as soon as I said the hot showers, couldn't stop vomiting and seizing, she said, you still smoke pot, right? And I said, yeah. She said, you have cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. And I said, say what? I didn't know what that medical talk meant. It basically meant I had smoked so much pot over 22, 23 years that my body became intolerant to it. My body was rejecting it. That was why my body was shutting down. We'll get to the story about the last night I ended up in the hospital at a different time because that's a whole nother story. The day after my checkup with my regular physician, I called out from work just to recuperate for the day. And I've never really been a super spiritual person. My husband went off to work for the day. We ended up, we were working for the same company at that time, different departments. I was just staying in bed, taking care of myself. I shit you not, it was like something from above pulled me and drugged me out of bed to my computer on the floor. I was so desperate. I knew something had to change. And I was scared to make the change, but I knew at this point it was like literally life or death. I feel like I had death staring at me the night before. So I decided to look up 211 and see what resources they had. And as scared as I was, I was looking up women's shelters and places to go and how to get away from a toxic relationship, a safe place to stay. They were able to connect me with some really great resources. Rather than going to a shelter, I had this aha moment. I had known people that I used to work with at Mon. Everybody talked about this Oxford house, and that was one of the resources they gave me. This spiritual awakening was the beginning of the new part of my life that I never could have imagined was about to take place. I was able to get a list of women's Oxford houses in the area, started calling down the list for interviews. A couple of them were like a week out. And then I called this house called Valencia in Everett. They called me back and said, yeah, we just opened two nights ago. Do you want to come down for an interview? You'd be the first person in the house. So I secretly had an interview. I kept this for my husband because I was still in that fear of my own mind of what was going to happen when I actually broke it to him that I actually am now having the courage to finally leave for what always seemed so impossible. And it was now being done. I had an interview. They asked me if I needed to stay there that night or if I felt safe going home. And I said, no, I'm fine going home. And they said, you can move in tomorrow. I've always tried to not ask my parents for financial assistance, but I was begging my mom at this point. I had no money to get out with. I needed $1,000 to move in to this new place the next day. And she put the check in the mail, said, don't apologize for it. Just promise me you won't go back. And I literally packed all my shit in my little Ford Fusion and moved into an Oxford house the next day. And that was the beginning of the journey. I'm still living today, three and a half years later. If you can relate to what you heard today, please subscribe and leave me a five-star rating. Please share this podcast with others who may have something to gain as well.